Chapter 29. May Village. That was the name of the little hamlet, according to Link's Sheikah Slate. The village had long since been destroyed, of course. As far as Link could tell, none of the buildings had escaped unscathed, and few remained that were little more than their foundations and half-walls. But from what Link could tell, it had likely once been a quaint town. They had passed several overgrown and abandoned farms when approaching it, as well as a sizable ranch. Now, what was left of the town had been infested by monsters. Moblins, to be exact. Cass had counted no less than fifteen of them when he had first flown over. No bow-coblins with these towering beasts. What do you think? Link asked, pulling back from his vantage point on a grass-topped hill overlooking the town. He looked over at Cass, who knelt on the ground beside him. It seems to me that the best course of action would be to avoid confrontation if we can. But our options are limited. Further south are the mounted bow-coblins that I saw earlier. I feel confident that you could defeat them, if forced to engage. Yes, he likely could, but it was risky. They were nearing the center of Hyrule Field now, and had drifted much further south than they had originally intended. There were quite a few of the old ruins in this area, and it was a favorite place for monsters to make their homes. It was also the most open of areas in Hyrule Field, rolling hills only occasionally broken by a small thicket of bushes or groves of trees. The day prior, they had spent most of the day hidden by trees. And north is where you saw the Guardian. Yes. Link pressed his lips, trying to slow his suddenly rapidly beating heart. The thought of the lone Guardian that Cass had seen that morning sent panicked chills down his spine. It hadn't been close enough to be a threat to them, but just the thought of it being out there still searching for a target after all this time. He thought of the way that he had deflected the Guardian's blast in his memory. Could he use that? It seemed to him to have been nothing more than pure luck. Perhaps that was why Princess Zelda showed him no gratitude on that day. She knew that no skill had saved them. Just simple luck. It rang hollow in his mind, and he pushed the thoughts to the side. Now wasn't the time to be dwelling on the princess and her distaste of him. We were friends. We eventually got past that, he told himself yet again. It did little to calm his nerves. I think we go north, he finally said. He pointed toward the northern edge of the village. Look, there are still a few walls standing. If we're careful, we can skirt around the village so we don't have to go too far. The Guardian was still a few miles away, right? At least it had been an hour prior, when Cass returned from his scouting flight. Hopefully it still was. Cass agreed to Link's plan, though he could tell that the Rito was still worried. This was the most dangerous part about cutting through Hyrule Field. They were in the true heart of enemy territory now, and a wrong step could see them surrounded on all sides. Link carefully climbed back down the hill and grasped Spirit's reins, pulling the horse in the direction that they had decided on. Most of Link's equipment had been strapped down tightly onto Spirit's saddle, 
to prevent it from rattling around while he walked. He only had his bow and quiver of arrows currently on him. He would have preferred to have cast fly overhead, but their proximity to so many enemy forces prevented that as well. Cast needed too much distance to gain altitude, and he could very well be seen while doing so. No, he would need to stay on the ground until they were at least a good deal past the moblins, and preferably the mounted bow goblins as well. They had archers. They traveled north, using a forested patch that stretched north for a few miles to move more quickly. This one, thankfully, did not have any of the rock-spitting Octoroks. The last wooded area they had passed through had one, and the damn thing left a nasty welt between Link's shoulder blades. He did notice a few exceptionally large spiderwebs, though. He wouldn't want to meet a spider, and then wait a web that size. After giving themselves enough time to be clear of the village's outer walls, they cut west again and left the forest, carefully rounding the ruins. Moblins, thankfully, were not the most observant of creatures, and no alarm was made as they made their way around Mabe Village. Once they were past the village, however, they were in the open. There were no trees here, just wide open fields. The ground leveled out a great deal as well, meaning that they wouldn't have the advantage of hills to hide them from enemies. Not good. Cass, can you fly now? I don't like this. Cass looked around, using his strong Rito vision to gaze about for any enemies that might be in the area, and then nodded. It was still risky, but Link would feel much better knowing that Cass was high overhead. He spread his wings and flapped, moving forward and gaining speed rapidly. A few moments later, he was airborne and climbing. Ravali didn't take off like that, Link thought, frowning. It felt wrong to him, somehow, but he couldn't picture exactly how the Rito champion had flown. But it was distinctly different. Sighing, Link mounted spirit. Without any cover, there was no point in walking now. Best to try to cover as much ground as possible. He nudged Spirit into a canter, trying his best to sit low in the saddle as they made their way west. Hyrule Castle loomed far closer now than it had ever been since he woke. It was, of course, still many miles away from him, but he could see better now that it sat atop a tall rock, maybe even a small mountain, allowing it to rise high above the surrounding landscape and drawing the eye to it for miles away. He was within a day's journey of it. Within a day's journey of Ganon and Princess Zelda. Goddess, help me, I want this to be over. Could he ride north? He had defeated two of the Blights. Would that be enough? Would his Sheikah weaponry be as effective against the Calamity as they had been against its creations? As if to mock him, the hazy malice that surrounded the castle suddenly began to swirl more violently than before. Link held his breath, watching as the malice seemed to make a storm that swirled around the base of Hyrule Castle, and then rose to its towers. With wide eyes, Link watched as the malice began to take shape. Calamity Ganon The giant creature seemingly the size of the castle of itself rose over the tallest tower, Ma opened wide in a roar that caused the ground to shudder. Spirit danced nervously, but Link did little to soothe the horse. His eyes were transfixed to the entity that now flew over the castle, circling it like a bird of prey. Please. His heart raced, and he gripped the reins with a white-knuckled grip. 
Not yet. Not now. A blinding light appeared in the center of the castle, just like before. But no feminine voice spoke to him on this day. The light did have an effect on Gen, however. The giant figure seemed to wilt as soon as it appeared. The swirling malice grew indistinct, and Ganon's shape sank back down, breaking apart like a cloud caught in a strong wind. Soon, it was gone, leaving only the faint red haze that was ever present around the castle. Just hold on, princess, Link said. Just a little more time. His words seemed insignificant. How could he ever hope to defeat such a monstrosity? The calamity was enormous, far larger than he had even realized. It was easily as large as the divine beasts, maybe even dwarfed them. His attacks would be little more than pinpricks, even with a holy blade. They must have all known this, though. The princess certainly must have, didn't she? Was the Master Sword just that powerful? The divine beasts? Was it the combination of all those elements that would lead him to ultimate victory? Shouldn't I have some kind of special insight into this sort of thing? He nudged Spirit forward again, forcing his gaze away from the castle. After all, aren't I the reincarnated hero? Reincarnated hero. The idea made him uncomfortable. How did he measure up to the heroes of old? He imagined fairly low in that respect. How many others of them had been defeated in their fight against Ganon? The continued existence of the land seemed to suggest that none of them had failed in the past. Not until him. Sighing softly, Link shook his head. Hadn't he already dealt with these feelings before? Why was it that every time he felt even the slightest bit melancholy, he dwelled entirely too much on his failures? Failures from a century ago. Failures that he had already begun to set right. Two Divine Beasts had been freed already. He was winning. So why did it so often feel otherwise? He turned his gaze back on the castle. Ganon. It's the one responsible. For his failure. For Princess Zelda's imprisonment. For the state of the world. It was responsible for the deaths of countless people. Link thought back to the small town of Mabe Village. Raised to the ground by Ganon's machinations. I'll find a way he said, though his voice hardly sounded firm. He sat up straighter in the saddle. I have to find a way. Link didn't understand why they needed to stop at the Royal Ancient Tech Lab before continuing on to the Tabantha Frontier and Rito Village, but his opinion did not seem to matter very much for anything lately. What Princess Zelda wanted, she most certainly got. They had set out the day prior, traveling west at an easy pace. It was to be their first real journey together. The princess and her royal knight. Link could hardly believe that the king would even allow his teenage daughter to travel alone with a man. It seemed unsafe, in quite a few ways. Of course, he was called the best swordsman in all of the land though the sincerity of that title teetered between bitter sarcasm and awe, depending on who said it. There had been quite a few knights, intending on competing for the honor of being Princess Zelda's personal protector. 
He was certain that any one of them would have made the princess much happier. At least she wasn't glaring at him right now. Instead, she and the Sheikah woman, Pura, were standing over that strange device that the princess carried on her hip. Snap! I thought for sure that was going to work, Pura said, tapping her lips. There is definitely some other functionality that it's missing. I mean, the code definitely mentions some other runes. What could Magnesis mean? I'm still marveling at the images that it can capture, Princess Zelda tapped at the screen a few times. From his vantage leaning against the brick wall, Link couldn't quite see what she was looking at, but he knew what she spoke of. They and the other champions had all gathered together after the ceremony to have their photograph taken by Pura. A slight smile crossed his lips at the memory. Daruk had completely ruined that first photo, but he found that he liked it anyway, particularly the way that Revali had looked in the image. The pompous, what are you smiling at? The princess was looking back at him, frowning slightly. With a start, Link realized that he had been staring right at her while thinking about the picture. He stood up straighter, opening his mouth, but then hesitated. A brief pause was enough to annoy the princess, who rolled her eyes and turned away from him again. After a moment, he saw her sigh and looked back at him. You don't have to just stand there if you do not wish. He hesitated and then stepped forward to stand beside her, curious about the device called the Sheikah Slate. An image of Hyrule Field showed on its face, as clear as though they were looking out of one of the castle's many windows. It was quite beautiful. Oh, I meant if you wanted to. The princess stopped herself, glancing at Pura, who shrugged. Link felt a sudden rush of embarrassment wash over him. She hadn't been inviting him to the table. She had been attempting to dismiss him. Well, he was here now, so he might as well stay. How does it work? He said, voice soft. Pura gasped. He can speak. Link set his jaw, refusing to look at her. He kept his eyes on the Sheikah Slate. After a moment, the princess cleared her throat. Well, to be honest, we still don't know for sure, but we think it's this. She turned the device over in her hand and used her index finger to tap a small black circle of glass in the center of the Sheikah eye emblazoned onto its back. See? She turned the Sheikah Slate back over, resting it on one hand while using the other hand to manipulate the screen. She pressed a small green icon, and the screen turned black. Link frowned. Then she carefully used her free hand to grasp the edge of the device and pulled the hand she had been using to support it away. At once, the screen flashed with light and color. It took just a second before the image on its surface came into focus, revealing the wooden table beneath it. She moved her hand back under the Sheikah slate, but further away now, wiggling her fingers as if to wave. She moved her hand closer to the back of the Sheikah slate until suddenly, the screen went black again, as her hand covered whatever it was that enabled it to take such clear images. So, we think that is the aperture for the camera room, but we do not know how it works, she said, finishing her demonstration by pressing a few more buttons on the screen to take the Sheikah slate back to its normal state. The dark screen with a couple colored icons in the center. But check it. It's only a matter of time before we get it figured out. Pretty soon... I'm going to have this thing all busted open and figure out how all of its internal parts work. And then I'm going to make my own, as soon as I figure out how to actually open it. Pura leaned forward to look around Zelda, grinning at Link. 
Link frowned for a moment, considering quietly. But how does it help us? Against Calamity Ganon, I mean. That was the wrong thing to say, it would seem. Princess Zelda's face grew flushed, her eyebrows raising. Oh, well, that's just it, isn't it? It's not very useful in a fight, so it's not very useful at all. He opened his mouth to protest. He hadn't meant it like that at all, but she plowed on ahead, not giving him a chance to speak. Why, we should just give up anything that isn't directly related to Calamity Ganon, shouldn't we? I might as well just throw the Sheikah Slate into the river. Won't be needing it when I face down the beast, my loyal knight by my side. He clamped his mouth shut. This was his fault. He never should have even said a word. Every time he tried, something like this happened. You know what, Pura? I don't even think I should worry about bathing any longer. After all, it hardly has anything to do with my quest to defeat Ganon. And you never know, perhaps the goddess will be so overcome with my stench and she will finally answer my prayers. Link backed away from the table, face burning with embarrassment. He decided to take Princess Zelda up on her earlier suggestion and walked out of the room, out into the sunlight. He could still hear her sarcastic tone all the way out the door. Link's eyes opened, revealing the shadowy canopy of trees overhead. Another dream. Another memory. Why this one? What was his subconscious trying to tell him, besides the fact that he and Princess Zelda seemed incapable of sharing a kind word to, or about each other, when they first began their journey together? Sighing softly, he pushed himself up to a seated position, peeling back the top of his bedroll. He slipped his legs out from the warm covering, the cool night air immediately chilling him. It was a particularly chilly night, much cooler than the night prior. He wished that they could have at least had a small fire. They had made it across the open field without incident, settling down in a forest southeast of a mountain marked on Link's Sheikah Slate as Mount Gustav. They had been forced to turn south to reach the forest, but it was the only cover around for them to make their camp. Just like the night before, Link had taken the first watch, remaining awake until shortly after midnight. That way Cass could use the cover of darkness to scout out their path for the following day during his watch. Cass wasn't anywhere within sight. There would likely be at least another hour before they should get moving again. The moon was high overhead. However, knowing that there was little chance that he would get back to sleep, with his most recent memory replaying in his head, he walked out of the circle of their small camp in order to answer the call of nature. Distantly, he thought he heard a wolf's howl. Then he heard the snap of a branch. A much closer sound. He froze, keeping still as he slowly turned his head, eyes searching the darkness for any sign of movement. For a time, nothing moved. But then he saw it again. A red light, moving just beyond the shadowy tree trunks. He squinted, trying to make out the object in the distance. As he focused on it, other details came into view. It wasn't just a single red light, but several lines of light, crisscrossed in patterns reminiscent of constellations. It turned, and now Link saw a brightly glowing blue light. Its eye. Guardian. Link threw himself against the nearest tree. A twig cracked under his foot in the process, and the Guardian froze. 
The blue eye turned slowly to look at the patch of trees that he and Cass had made their camp in. It stood tall on six segmented legs, whole and dangerous. Link could remember all too well the damage that it was capable of doing out. He waited, holding his breath, peeking out from behind the tree, hoping that the Guardian would move on. It didn't. Instead, the Guardian moved closer to the tree line, still peering in Link's direction. It lifted itself up on its six legs, appearing to try to view in from a higher vantage. After a moment, it lowered itself and began to move to the side slowly, still appearing into the forest, searching. Link hesitantly glanced back toward his gear. His shield and sword were all back near his bedroll. To reach them, he would have to cross out into the open. The Guardian continued to move, and he realized with horror that it would be able to see him if it continued on the direction it was moving. Heart pounding in his chest, he sidled around the tree, attempting to keep out of view of the searching blue eye. Just leave. Go, there's nothing here. The Guardian stopped moving. It was close enough that Link could hear the faint sounds of its clawed feet striking the ground. For as large as it was, it was surprisingly quiet. Link hesitantly peeked out from behind the tree again and nearly cried out in surprise. The Guardian had moved even closer to the tree line, and its blue eye was near enough now that he could see it pulse. He waited, holding his breath. No fire came, no blast of energy or searing heat, no bright flash. Finally, the Guardian backed up from the forest, its blue eye turning away. It swiveled left and right for several seconds, and then continued on its way, walking silently into the night. Link closed his eyes tightly and leaned his forehead against the rough tree bark, breathing heavily. Cold sweat had broken out all over his body. He was trembling. Goddess, how am I supposed to face those things again? They had killed him once. Would they kill him again? Somehow, he doubted that he would be waking up in another 100 years if they did. Eventually, Link heard the soft swoosh of air that signified Cass's return to camp. He finally moved away from the tree, walking back on unsteady feet. Did you? Yes. Cass looked at him, concern clearly visible in his eyes. It appears to have moved on for now. We should leave right away, in case it returns. Link nodded and they worked quickly to gather up their supplies. He placed the saddle onto Spirit's back and tightened it down. It's a good thing that it didn't see Spirit, he said. They don't attack animals, Cass glanced over at him. I saw one tonight move right past a deer. It did not attack it, though I am certain that it must have seen it. The deer showed no fear in its presence either. Link frowned. Maybe it's not aggressive anymore. I do not think that is it, Cass said, shaking his head. There are many stories of people being attacked while traveling too close to the castle. It is one of the reasons that so few people venture into Hyrule Field anymore. The stories would have one believe that there were guardians all the way south to the Great Plateau. Link wasn't sure what he thought about that. It was good to hear that they did not attack indiscriminately, true. He imagined that the forests in this area would have long since been burned down if they did. On the other hand, it means that they've been commanded to attack only certain living things. Do they target other monsters? I do not know, though I suspect that they must, due to the clear division between their territories. 
monsters tried to avoid traveling too far north, presumably to avoid entangling themselves with the Guardians. They finished packing their camp, and Link grasped Spirit's reins. Together he and Cass began to travel west, remaining in the cover of the trees as long as they could. Finally, as the sky began to brighten in the east, they exited the forest and angled north. They would rejoin the road soon, and enter what Link feared to be the most dangerous leg of their journey. The only way across the river that encircled central Hyrule without going days out of their way would be the Karak Bridge, just north of Mount Gustav. It was far closer to the ruins of Castletown than either of them were comfortable with, especially now that a guardian had patrolled so close. There was also the growing fear of a Yiga ambush. In all likelihood, the would-be assassins knew by now that he had not traveled south on the road to the Garuda Desert. The ones lying in wait near Death Mountain may have also realized by now that Link's horse was gone. They could be following across Hyrule Field. Worse, some could already be lying in wait for Link and Cass. The bridge would make an excellent location to stage an ambush. The grass here grew particularly tall, easily reaching up to Link's knees, and at times, his hips. Cass occasionally took flight to do a wide circle around them, ensuring that the Guardian hadn't turned back towards them. So far, it hadn't, remaining a couple of miles to the northeast. The hazy pre-dawn light prevented Link from making out its distant figure. To make matters worse, the fog was beginning to settle into the valley, reducing their visibility even further. He led Spirit by the reins again, but they moved with much greater haste than before. The sooner they reached the bridge and left Hyrule Field, the better. To their left, Mount Gustav rose. Being near it was a hopeful sign. They were not so far from their destination now. They would reach it by mid-afternoon, even quicker if they maintained their current pace. Have you experienced any more memories, Link? Cass asked, his voice sounding tense. The fog was beginning to grow thicker, obscuring Hyrule Castle, as well as most of the other surrounding landmarks. It was unnerving. The Rito probably needed to fly overhead again soon, but he admitted that the reoccurring takeoffs and landings were beginning to take their toll on his body. Cass was growing wary, finding it increasingly difficult to gain the necessary altitude to remain safe, and to do so quickly enough to be noticed. So, he filled the nervous silence with words. Link could hardly blame him, though he wasn't sure that he wished to discuss the memories that he had been having lately. Ever since arriving in Hyrule Field, he had been having flashes of memories, even outside of the dreams. Unfortunately, other than his brief memories of his father, many of them had left him feeling emotionally drained and... disappointed. I... think that I'm remembering my first trip to Rito Village with the princess. He could remember setting out from the castle with Princess Zelda, riding out of the stables side by side. He could remember their first tense night under the stars. She had erected a tent for herself, and he had cooked a simple stew for them to share. He didn't think a single word had passed between them that night. Is that so? What was the purpose of the trip, if you don't mind my asking? Something with the Divine Beast, I presume? That's right, Link said, not meeting Cass's eye. He kept looking around for any sign of enemies. The fog was too thick to see anything well anymore. Ravali had asked her to visit, and make some adjustments. Something about how it couldn't bank as well to the left as it could to the right. He could remember her muttering to herself while sitting in her saddle, a little notebook in her hand. 
he didn't think that she realized he was listening to her. Not that he understood most of what she said. She had used words and phrases that still had no meaning to him, even now. She also had to speak to the Elder about... Link frowned, looking down, as he concentrated. Something, I can't remember what it was. Something about the memory of seeing the princess sitting alone, speaking to herself, brought a warmth to Link's heart. He didn't need his other memories to realize that must have been a common occurrence with her. I do my best thinking aloud. I assume that doesn't bother you. Hmm. I am not surprised that retracing your steps as we are doing would help you recall certain memories. If you have any memories of Ravali, I would like to hear them. He holds a certain legendary status among the Rito people, and I have found it surprisingly difficult to learn much about what he was actually like, despite the countless stories we have of him. Yeah, I'll... The sound of a horn cut through the quiet morning, echoing off the mountain. Link cursed and whirled, looking around wildly, but could not find anything through the fog. Had they been spotted? Maybe it's... Something else. Not related to us at all. If we just keep going. There. Cass pointed into the fog. And Link narrowed his eyes, trying to make out the shape. A moment later he cursed. Pulling the bow from around his shoulder and slapping Spirit's rump to cause the horse to trot away. The shadowy shape of a bow cobbler on horseback came into view. Riding hard with a wild expression on its pig-like face. It held a long wooden shaft, with one end sharpened to a point which had lowered in an attempt to run Link through. An arrow suddenly sprouted from the center of the Bokoblin's chest. It looked down in surprise but made no sound as a second arrow lodged into its throat. The Bokoblin slipped sideways, dropping the makeshift spear to the soft earth. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't alone. Four more mounted shapes had appeared in the fog, all galloping toward Link and Cass. Get in the air, Cass, Link said, eyes darting between the four approaching shapes. There were too many of them to take out with bowshot. Link, go! Circle overhead. Warm and more are coming. Link shot another arrow, this one sinking into a bowcoblin's shoulder, causing it to cry out in pain, and then raced forward to meet them, slinging the bow over his shoulder again. He grabbed up the fallen spear just in time to thrust it into the ribs of another mounted bowcoblin. The wooden shaft was long enough that he was able to plant its butt into the ground, successfully skewering the bowcoblin and driving it off of its mount entirely. He couldn't afford to look back to make sure Cass had done as he ordered. Another bowcoblin galloped towards him, wielding a sword with a broken tip. He pulled his spear free of the bowcoblin that he'd run through, and tried to do the same again, but this bowcoblin knocked his spear out of the way with his sword. He barely avoided being trampled by the horse in the process. I could. They probably heard us talking. No way they saw us through the fog. An arrow sank into the ground at Link's feet, and he broke into a run, narrowly avoiding another thin shaft as it flew past his head. Before he could get a sense for where the archer was, however, the bowcoblin that he'd wounded with an arrow earlier was there, furiously swinging a spiked club at his head. He tried to parry the blow with his spear, but the bowcoblin had the advantage and better leverage. The blow knocked the spear out of Link's hands, sending it clattering to the ground. He pulled the small knife free of his belt and ducked forward, under another swing of its club, and swiped it across the bowcoblin's exposed thigh. It howled in agony, dropping its club, which struck Link painfully in the back as it fell. The bowcoblin kicked its horse back into motion, racing away, and Link stowed his knife again. 
He grabbed the fallen club in one hand, and the spear in the other, eyes darting around for his next foe. The sword-wielding bowcoblin was still out there, as was the archer. He began to move again, which proved fortunate. Another arrow whizzed past him. There! He could make out the shape of the archer, but it was further away than he had expected. Maybe they could see through the fog better than he could. No time to think about it, as the sound of hooves approaching informed him of the sword wheeler's second approach. Link whirled and hefted the spear over his shoulder. After a second, he found the bowcoblin in the fog and threw the spear like a javelin. His aim wasn't perfect, but it still had the desired effect. The spear sank deep into the bowcoblin's shoulder, knocking it cleanly off its horse to the ground. Just gotta get the archer. He whirled again, looking into the fog for any sign of the last mounted and armed bowcoblin. He spotted a dark shadow silhouetted in the haze and frowned. That looked too large, too tall. Link, run! Cass swooped down low, his normally calm voice suddenly panicked. Link's blood ran cold. The Guardian suddenly emerged through the fog, six legs propelling it smoothly into view. One of the Bowcoblins yelled something in their guttural language, and the Guardian turned its head toward it. It was the Archer, who desperately shot an arrow towards the hulking machine of stone and metal. The arrow bounced harmlessly off its black body. The Guardian's red lights pulsed more brightly, and there was a flash of blinding white light. Link watched in horror as the beam of energy lanced through the fog, burning a line of it away in an instant. The beam struck the Bowcoblin and its horse in an explosion of fire. The horse screamed, lying on its side, half of its body engulfed in flames, and what was left of the Bowcoblin wasn't even able to do that. Frozen, Link could only stare at the carnage. He wasn't breathing. He wasn't thinking. Six legs clamoring over burning wreckage. A blue eye pulsing amidst flames, aiming right at him, preparing to finally end his life. No! The other remaining mounted Bowcoblin bolted, racing away as fast as it could on its horse. The Guardian tracked it with its swiveling head and rose up higher on its legs. It fired again and Link saw the ground under the Bowcoblin erupt. The horse and its master tumbled through the air, broken. You must run, Link! Move! Cass was still circling overhead, flapping his wings madly. Link knew it was difficult for him to maintain speed and momentum this low to the ground. But he couldn't tear away his eyes from the Guardian. It slowly rotated its cylindrical head, blue eyes searching. It saw him. The lights on its body seemed to pulse with excitement, and it rose up taller on its legs, preparing to fire. And still, he remained immobilized. Fear gripped him, in its inescapable vice. Cass swooped low and stopped his forward momentum with a powerful flap of his wings. With surprising smoothness, all while suspended in midair, he grabbed his bow from between his talons and took aim. He shot an arrow that struck the Guardian directly in the eye. The Guardian spasmed, the lights on its body flickering wildly. Cass dropped the bow, catching it in his outstretched talon, and flapped hard to maintain his altitude. His feet briefly touched the ground before he took off again, flying low over the grass. The Guardian shook off the attack a moment later, turning its head to track Cass's flight. It fired a line of energy towards the Rito, but Cass banked just in time, narrowly avoiding being struck. 
Link finally broke into a sprint to the waiting spirit, who pranced nervously. He swung himself up into the saddle. The Guardian fired towards Cass, but the Rito had gained enough distance and altitude now to render the attack meaningless. So the Guardian turned its attention onto a much closer target. Link kicked Spirit into a gallop. A beam of energy lanced out, striking the side of Mount Gustav just behind them. Ducking low over Spirit's back, he spurred the horse into as fast a sprint as they had ever done. He could hear the Guardian give chase, its legs propelling it forward to match his speed. Link rode out onto the old dirt road, nearly overgrown now by underuse. Behind him, the Guardian pursued, sending another lance of white-hot energy across the ground nearby, igniting the grass in a line. He took a moment to look ahead to their path, and then turned Spirit north, back off on the road. The road ahead formed a canal, blocked in on both sides by the mountain, and a combination of trees and old ruins on the other. It would make him an easy target. Spirit leaped over a log, nearly unseating Link. He leaned lower in the saddle, wind rushing by as they ran. He heard the log crunch under the Guardian just behind them. Come on, boy. Go faster. Just a bit faster. Spirit weaved around a tree in their path, which exploded a moment later in a plume of fire. Link could feel the heat on his back. He glanced back, noting that the Guardian had fallen behind them, though they were hardly out of danger yet. He spotted a series of rocky outcroppings nearby, and angled Spirit towards them. Almost there. A shadow passed by to his right, and Link glanced up, seeing Cass flying high overhead. He was still there, even though Link had told him to fly home in a situation like this. Oh well. There was no time to worry about it now. He looked over his shoulder, looking to where the Guardian was located now, and then turned Spirit into the rocky outcrop, zigzagging around several of the stone pillars. He heard another energy blast strike the outcrop that they had just passed, shattering the stone. A constant back and forth slowed their progress, but it also broke the line of sight, which was far more important than speed at the moment. He could hear the Guardian reach the outcrops behind them and glance back, unable to see it any longer. He kept Spirit moving forward until they abruptly exited the rocky area and entered a thick wood. Link halted Spirit in the shadowy center of the forest, looking around for any sign of the Guardian. For a moment, there was only silence. No guardian fire, no mechanical legs tearing up earth and scrabbling over stone. And then, they heard it. The sound was strange and alien to him. A series of whirs and beeps that didn't sound at all natural. He ducked low on spirit, eyes open and searching. Finally, he saw it. Just outside of the grove of trees, its red lights pulsing. It had paused, turning its head this way and that, shuffling on its long legs. It fixed its gaze on the trees, and he held his breath. The Guardian turned and began walking away from the trees further north. The lights on its body seemed to dim as it did so. He released his breath, pressing his face to Spirit's mane. The horse was breathing heavily as well, sides heaving. He foamed around the bit in his mouth. Link dismounted and pulled Spirit's face down, rubbing his nose comfortingly. You did great, he said in a whisper. He pressed his face to Spirit's briefly, and then pulled away, keeping hold of the reins, and walking back the way he had come, leaving the trees and entering the rocky outcroppings. Now that he wasn't racing through, 
he was able to inspect the stone with a more critical eye. The rocks were far too uniform to be natural. He could see places where the stone had been sheared off and gathered into large blocks. Another quarry, just like the one in Akala. It made sense. Hyrule Castle would have needed an incredible amount of stone to build it, so it was only natural to build it near a quarry. The quarry seemed to be a large one, too, considering how long it had taken he and Spirit to cross it. Looking at the various rocky pillars, Link wondered if this had once been a hill or a small mountain. As they slowly made their way through, a shadow crossed his path. A moment later, he felt a rush of wind as Cass landed in front of him, breathing heavily. His feathers were considerably ruffled, but he otherwise looked unharmed. Good. Link nodded but said nothing, simply continuing on his way, drawn toward the center of the quarry. Somehow, he knew what he would find here. Cass fell in beside him, also not speaking. Perhaps after such a harrowing experience, no words needed to be said. Finally, they found what he'd expected. In the center of the quarry, surrounded on three sides by sloped stone walls, was a glowing Sheikah shrine. It must have once been completely buried in the rock. Link released Spirit's reins and moved forward, climbing the sloped walls enough to peek over the tops. The castle was far closer now, just across a thick moat, looming high above him. The quarry was just on the outskirts of the castle town, and from his vantage, Link could see the old city stretched out before him. The buildings had been leveled. All of them. The city had long since died, burned to ash in the initial attacks by the Guardians. The foundations and a few broken stone walls, almost entirely covered in the dark malice substance, were all that remained. Except for the Guardians. The old castle town was infested. He saw several of them crawling over the broken remains of his civilization, and they were joined by at least four of the flying types as well, which hovered over the bridge that led up to the castle. He even saw several broken guardians, some missing legs or other chunks of their body, but still very much so alive, glowing with the same red light as their mobile brethren. Link ducked his head back below the surface, sliding down the slope to rejoin Cass at the bottom. They had crossed far more north than planned in their flight from the Guardian, now well and truly in Ganon's territory. The air even felt different here, oily and foul, like the air in the Divine Beasts. It didn't surprise him, considering the amount of malice that he had seen. They exchanged a look of concern, and then Link stepped up to the shrine, pressing his Sheikah slate onto the pedestal by its door.